0: Africa rise and shine. Africa source Africa amika na unai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa rise and shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 90-meter band to West Africa, as well as DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Ann Moussa, Tabusuluhoku and Figule Ngwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the SAWA. South Africa urges Nigeria to sign Africa Trade Pact. And Zimbabwe's MDC Alliance accuses the Electoral Commission of bias. In economics news, BRICS member states urge to work together to improve infrastructure and as sports news. South Africa's Kevin Anderson beats Roger Federer at Wimbledon. The first up the news with Anne Musa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Ties between South Africa and Nigeria are expected to improve after President Cyril Ramaphosa's meeting with Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari Nabuja. Relations have been strained after various incidents in which Nigerians were allegedly targeted or even killed in South Africa. Speaking after the meeting, President Ramaphosa dismissed such attacks on Nigerians as criminal activities.
3: We are now opening a new page in the relationship between South Africa and Nigeria and this new page gives us the opportunity to go beyond where we've been before and find a number of areas where we can reach agreement, particularly in view of the opening up of the African continent through the free trade agreement, when we will be able To ensure that our economies grow by leaps and bounds.
2: Police in the Ugandan capital, Kampala, have used tear gas and live bullets to disperse protests. Against the controversial social media tax. Since the beginning of the month, access to social media such as WhatsApp, Facebook, and Twitter has been blocked unless users pay a daily tax. According to local media portal The Observer Uganda, police have arrested a popular politician and musician who led the protesters. In a statement, President Yoweri Museveni justified the move, saying many citizens did not pay their taxes as they were meant to and should not donate money to foreign companies through chatting or even lying on social media. The death toll from record rains that have devastated parts of Japan has risen to 199 with dozens still missing. A government spokesperson says search operations were continuing after the worst weather-related disaster in Japan over three decades. Hopes for finding survivors have faded a week after the rains began, even though the downpours have now stopped and floodwaters have receded. At least 10,000 people who evacuated their homes or were rescued are now living in shelters. South Africa's National Prosecuting Authority, the NPA, is expected to ask the Randburg Magistrates Court for a postponement of Duduzane Zuma's case this morning. The former president's son faces two counts of culpable homicide and an alternative charge of negligent driving. In February 2014, Zuma rear-ended a taxi after losing control of his vehicle on the M1 highway in Johannesburg. The collision led to the deaths of Pumzile Dube and Nanki Mashaba. While Dube died on the scene, Mashamba is believed to have died in hospital several weeks later. NPA spokesperson Pindum Jondwane.
4: We are anticipating a postponement as we are going to ask the court for a postponement in order to disclose the contents of the docket to the defense
5: team.
2: And finally, the Kenyan government says it will investigate allegations that local staff working for a Chinese-run railway have been subjected to racist abuse. The Standard newspaper reported that Kenyan employees of the new railway were subjected to discrimination and poorer working conditions compared to their Chinese colleagues. Complaints included the two groups having to use separate tables and vehicles and huge discrepancies in pay. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
1: Thank you. And South Africa's President Sil Ramaphosa says meeting his Nigerian counterpart, Muhammadu Buhari, has opened up a new page of improved relations between the two countries. Frosty relations between South Africa and Nigeria have been blamed for lack of full implementation of the over 30 bilateral agreements signed between the two sister republics. President Rabaposa undertook a one-day working visit to Abuja to rekindle relations dating back to the early 1960s. That's where Nigeria supported Pretoria to end apartheid and her quest for independence. Ndebo Mugobo has more from Abuja.
6: President Ramaphosa's visit to Nigeria has raised hopes that the frosty relations between Africa's largest economies will improve. Relations between the two countries have always had some turbulence. In 2015, Nigeria withdrew its ambassador and its High Commissioner to South Africa after a series of xenophobic attacks. Local companies have also experienced problems in Nigeria with Woolworths having forced to close shop while mobile company MTNA to pay a fine of 1.9 billion U.S. dollars for not registering millions of new SIM cards. And compounding relations are perceptions that Nigerians are being targeted and killed in South Africa, something that President Ramaphosa has vehemently denied, insisting that these were just pure acts of criminality.
3: There have been quite a number of incidents in our country where foreign nationals, and some of whom are Nigerians, have lost their lives and have been attacked. And I'd like to say here and now that that has been as a result of criminal activity amongst our own people, which we are focusing on from a criminal element point of view. I want to state South Africans do not have any form of negative disposition or hatred towards Nigerians.
6: The President said his meeting with President Buhar was a sign of renewed hope to improve relations between the two nations.
3: We also exchanged views on a number of important economic matters, particularly with regard to uh, the oil industry and how South Africa can be part of this whole process. We also exchanged views on how to deepen trade between our two countries. So all in all, we had a wonderful exchange and we both got a sense that we are now opening a new page in the relationship between South Africa and Nigeria, and this new page gives us the opportunity to go beyond where we've been before and find a number of areas where we can reach agreement.
6: Meanwhile, both leaders have also discussed bilateral, continental and global issues of common interest, with the recent signing of the continental free trade area feature prominently behind the closed-door meeting. At least 49 countries, including South Africa, have signed the agreement while Nigeria is still consulting. But President Buhari says he will do that soon.
7: I'm very careful about what I sign, especially when it involves uh, nation-state. We have so many young unemployed citizens and our industries are just coming up. So in trying to guarantee employment, we have to be careful with agreements that will compete may be successfully against our own upcoming industries. I was presented with the document. I'm a very slow reader, maybe because I was an ex-soldier. I didn't read it fast enough. Before my official saw that it was all right for signature, I kept it on my table. I will soon sign it. Thank you very much. (laughs) The
6: continental free trade zone, which encompasses 1.2 billion people, will see the free movement of goods and people, as well as increased intra-Africa trade. From Nigeria, President Ramaphosa flew to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates on state visits to assess the status of bilateral relations in both countries. The president will be back in the country on Friday. I am Tebumukobu Abuja in Nigeria.
1: Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission continues to face criticism as it prepares for the July 30th elections. Thousands of supporters from the main opposition movement for democratic change marched in Harare yesterday, demanding an explanation regarding ZEC's preparations. According to the Nelson Chamisa-led party and their alliance partners, ZEC is biased and failure to implement certain demands would discredit this year's elections. Simon Muchema reports from Harare.
8: Zimbabwe's main opposition movement for democratic change MDCT led by 40-year-old Nelson Chamisa on Wednesday painted red streets in the capital Harare. Thousands of party supporters together with their alliance partners thronged the capital and marched against Zimbabwe Electoral Commission (ZEC) for its bias towards the ruling ZANU-PF. While ZEC is adamant they would not release the full voters row ahead of the polls PF had the material which they have started using to obtain personal voters' information such as mobile numbers. A few days ago, Zec released a voters' roll, which had no pictures and certain biometric features like fingerprints and mobile numbers to the opposition claiming it was meant to protect the voters. However, Zimbabweans were shocked when the ruling PF had access to the ZEC database and used the information to send mobile messages to voters in the opposition strongholds. During the protest Wednesday, MDCT demanded full disclosure of the source, security, traceability and openness of the ballot paper, provisions of the voters' role as defined in terms of the law, With pictures in searchable and analyzable form, they also demanded answers why ZANU-PF accessed ZEX database contrary to the law. Pastor Ivan Mawarire of the hashtag this flag was among the protesters
0: and had this to say. Well, I think from a layman's perspective, you are receiving messages only from one party Uh, and you did not give that party your details. Are not part of that party where did they get them from? There's only one place that hundreds of thousands of Zimbabweans went to submit their details, it is at ZEC during the BVR registration. So, what I make of that is that ZEC has allowed ZANU PF to access information which is sacred so that they can use it to their own advantage, and that is not acceptable for a free and fair election.
8: Peter Mutasa, Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions, ZCTU president, also complained. Of the access of ZEC database by the ruling ZANU PF,
7: how can you explain uh, that uh, people have got accurate uh, data for people, we, including their constituencies, their MPs, and their councillors? It only points that to the fact that it, the data is coming from ZEC, and this is why every progressive movement, the labour movement, student movement. The residents and uh, the poor citizens of this country should come together and denounce Zek. What an
8: ordinary citizen who was part of the street protest on Wednesday complained bitterly over the biased nature Zek is handling personal information for voters.
7: Yes, we received message from Zek saying we must vote for the candidate. We don't know how we got then Our numbers, for me, I, I don't like because I didn't like what they did because I'm not their member i don't like their part, i don't know
8: meanwhile zimbabweans are beginning to wonder what next will be done in the event zek continues to be arrogant and refuses to implement key electoral reforms
7: what if they don't respond we will make them respond because we have got the international eyes on zimbabwe they will respond because we are the zimbabweans we will not let this nation go into the drain they will have to respond. We will continue to put pressure upon them until they make things happen.
8: MDCT leader and MDC alliance presidential candidate this year, Nelson Chamisa, warned if Zeke refuses to change, more protests will be done.
3: Bye bye Zanubie,
7: bye bye. Bye bye Mkoma bye bye.
1: Bye bye Matosese, bye bye. Matozeze, bye, bye.
8: Inarare, Zimbabwe, Fuchano, Africa. This is Simon Muchemwa.
1: The Democratic Republic of Congo civil society has launched a sensitization campaign for peace in the Kasai region several months after violence that left thousands of people dead. The campaign comes as the UN office there is raising concerns over humanitarian situations in the region. Jean-Noël reports from Kinshasa.
9: Several months after violence and insecurity situation ravaged the Kasai region, inhabitants from different ethnic groups have it difficult to live together in that central part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's indeed the reason why the region's civil society has initiated a sensitization campaign to try and convince people they need to continue living together and rebuild an atmosphere of trust among the different ethnic groups. Emmanuel Kabukapu is the chairman of the Kasai civil society.
10: relations
9: Relations among populations are very important and that's why the campaign targets victims, youth and traditional leaders of different ethnic groups. We have also targeted the security forces and MPs to restore love and unity for development of the Kasai. UN experts have recently released a report on the situation in the Kasai. They noted there has been violence of high-level war crime and war against the humanity in that part of this country. The experts' report explained all this has been committed by both the DRC National Army and the local militias, including the Kamina Sapu and the Banamura, they then made recommendations to fight impunity. Meanwhile, the UN mission here in the Democratic Republic of Congo has said it will support these countries' authorities to implement the expert's recommendations. Florence Marshall is MONUSCO's spokesperson.
11: Of course, there are a lot of challenges that are described in the report, including the need for uh, fighting impunity. The report contains also recommendations and the MONUSCO is ready to support Congolese authorities to implement the recommendation contained in the report to fight impunity because perpetrators of human rights violation must be held accountable and brought to justice. And again, MONUSCO uh, is ready to support uh, Congolese authorities as we have already done in the implementation of the recommendation.
9: Meanwhile, people in the Kasai region continue to face a very serious humanitarian situation and they need quick assistance to try and survive after all the post-conflict consequences. That's indeed what the UN Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs said, OCHA has raised the concerns since it has done what it could to try and bring assistance to needy people in the region. The big problem the office is facing now is funds, according to OCHA spokesperson Yvonne Edumo.
10: We've been um, able to provide the assistance, but there needs to be a scale-up of, of that assistance and a lot of it is based funding situation currently we are 6 months in 2018 and we have received less than 25% of funding which is not very good there is a direct correlation between our ability to mobilize funds and our ability to deliver assistance and we do hope that the next 6 months We'll be able to mobilize sufficient funding not only for Kasai but also for all the other areas in the country. Whether it's North Kivu, South Kivu, Tanganyika, Ituri, all these areas, they need us. They need our presence. Uh, people need assistance. They need food. People who are sick need to be need medicine. And without the necessary funding, we won't be able to respond to a satisfactory level. For the people who are in need.
9: Jean-Noël Bamoise for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Yeah.
11: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> <coughs> <coughs> Lily's Leaf Farm in northern Johannesburg, South Africa was the farm used secretly by African National Congress activists in the 1960s and was the location where several prominent freedom fighters were arrested, leading to the Rivonia trial. Today, Lillies Leaf Farm is a museum and world-famous heritage site. As part of the 100 years of Mandela celebrations, Channel Africa will be broadcasting live from the farm this coming Thursday, the 12th of July. Join us on Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time for a discussion on Mandela before his arrest. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Sweden has convened only the third Security Council meeting on the subject of climate change with calls from several quarters for the issue to remain as a firm agenda item of the Council. The body is responsible for the maintenance of international peace and security with the United Nations and others arguing that shifts in climate patterns often as a result of man-made actions will become the most potent driver of existing conflicts and future wars in the world. and Bryce-Peace reports. <laughs>
5: After a recent visit to the Lake Chad Basin, a region most affected by both climate change and conflict, a message from the Deputy UN Secretary General Amina Mohammed that climate change is inextricably linked to some of the most pressing security challenges of our time.
12: The basin is experiencing a crisis brought on by a combination of political, socio-economic, humanitarian and environmental factors. The drastic shrinking of Lake Chad by more than 90% since the 1960s has led to environmental degradation, social economic marginalization and insecurity affecting 40 million people. Exacerbated competition over scant, scant resources and the vicious cycle of risk and vulnerability have decreased the resilience of populations to cope with the humanitarian crisis.
5: A region where declining economic activity and agricultural loss is leading to a lack of employment opportunities and increased recruitment as a result for groups such as Boko Haram.
12: We must understand climate change as one issue in a web of factors that can lead to conflict, can exacerbate conflict. Within this web, climate change acts as a threat multiplier, applying additional stress on prevailing political, social and economic pressure points. As the Executive Secretary of the Lake Chad Basin Commission said to us during our visit, I quote, At the end of the day, what was the origin of this conflict and for him the disappearance of Lake Chad was a key factor.
5: Sweden's Foreign Minister Margot Wallström in her capacity as president of the council for the month of July urged her colleagues to catch up to realities on the ground.
13: To address the conflicts of uh, today uh, and prevent uh, um, uh, the conflicts of, of tomorrow we must understand and respond uh, to the threat that climate change present to our security. We saw it with Boko Haram in the Lake Chad region. Um, you will see conflicts when the the, the lake recedes, um, people start to move. Uh, we will have conflicts between farmers and herders. Uh, Boko Haram will use the uh, the unrest that is created to recruit people.
5: She urged four key points for the Council to consider. First, to better understand climate-related security risks, to improve the tools of analysis and reporting from the field, to create an institutionalized home on the subject, to better coordinate the various agencies dealing with the matter throughout the UN system, and to learn from countries like small island states or those facing conflicts that are at the front line of the effects of climate change.
13: This will be the most potent driver of existing conflicts and and wars in the world. We will soon see, very soon, we will see more climate refugees.
5: Hindu Ibrahim is a woman and activist from the nomadic Mbororo community in Chad who explained to the council the challenges faced by her community.
14: They do not sit in the offices all day and wait at the end of the month to get salary to feed them families. More than 80% of our communities in Sahel, in particular, in my regions, depend from the environment, depend from agriculture, from fish, from livestock. That's the daily life they have to go and fight, feed them families. The practical example is, because we are nomadic we have to follow the patterns of water and pasture with the last decade we are experiencing the climate impact on all our resources the natural resource shrinking of course you already hear about the lake chat but there are many other places that water disappear forever
5: russia called the convening of the meeting misguided arguing that it could not accept the link between environmental conservation and threats to peace and security around the world. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York.
1: U.S. President Donald Trump arrives in a country he says is in turmoil on Thursday. That's how he described the United Kingdom after two government ministers resigned from Theresa May's government over her Brexit plans. Before setting off four euro, President Trump also said former Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson... One of those to quit Mrs May's cabinet was a friend of his. All this would make for an awkward meeting on its own, but the visit is also likely to be marked by large anti-Trump protests in London and Scotland. A correspondent, Catherine Drew, reports from London. U.S. President Donald Trump
15: arrives in the U.K. Thursday in a visit that will include a dinner with business leaders at Blenheim Palace, tea with Britain's Queen Elizabeth II at Windsor Castle, and a visit to his golf course in Scotland. He'll also hold bilateral talks with Theresa May at the Prime Minister's official Chequers retreat. Ahead of his visit, the President weighed into the Prime Minister's political woes as the Conservative government of Theresa May struggled with Brexit. Two ministers, including Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, quit. The President made a point of saying ahead of his departure that Boris is a friend of his.
16: I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil. The UK certainly has a... uh they have a lot of things going on. Uh, Boris Johnson's a friend of mine who's been very, very nice to me, very supportive. And uh, I maybe will speak to him when I get over there. I like Boris Johnson. I've always liked him.
15: However, Theresa May was playing down any awkwardness, saying Tuesday that she was looking forward to her talks with the American leader.
12: There's much for us to discuss. As you know, the special relationship we have with the United States is our longest and deepest uh, defense and security relationship, particularly. So we'll be talking about those issues, but also talking uh, about trade issues. Uh, As uh, we know, there are particular issues between the European Union and the United States uh, because of the trade tariffs uh, issue at the moment uh, when he imposed those uh, tariffs on steel and aluminium, and the uh, European Union responded but we'll be talking positively about how we can continue to work together in our special relationship for the good of people living in the UK and the United States. The
15: President will spend very little time in London, where large demonstrations are expected against his visit. Activists are determined their message will be heard and seen. Protesters plan to float a giant inflatable of Mr Trump depicted as a baby above the city during his visit. They accuse him of hateful and divisive rhetoric and policies against women, Muslims, and other minorities. Akilah Ahmed is the co organizer of the group Women's March London, which is taking part. We recently saw that he, you know, Trump and his administration have basically separated um, immigrant children from their families, locking up those children in cages. It's just awful, horrendous scenes that we've been seeing coming out of the United States, when actually in the past we've been looking to the United States to set an example on issues around freedom and equality and justice. And we've also seen that he has tried to roll back um, women's rights in terms of the right for women to have abortion and a whole host of other measures. And he himself, Trump himself, is uh, misogynistic. He has made very derogatory comments about women and sexual harassment in the past. Protesters say they believe over 50,000 people will turn out in London to protest against Trump and his policies All of this means British leader Theresa May will be walking something of a tightrope with the US President as she tries to maintain what's famously been described as a special relationship between the two countries. Paul Osborne is a London-based political commentator.
17: In Britain, everything is seen through the prism of Brexit. And so as we prepare to leave the European Union, it's vital to the British government that we have the strongest possible relationship with America. So that special relationship matters even more to us now than it did two or three years ago. The problem is it evidently doesn't matter very much to Donald Trump. Donald Trump seems to like people who kowtow to him. The more you kowtow to Donald Trump, the less popular you will be with your voters at home.
15: For this visit to the UK, Donald Trump will be surrounded by military pageantry and splendid locations in a bid to impress him and highlight the defence alliance between the two countries. Theresa May will be hoping for a smooth few days with no unhelpful tweets. But thousands of demonstrators will express their view that President Trump shouldn't be coming to the UK at all. Catherine Drew, London.
1: Our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Ties between South Africa and Nigeria are expected to improve after President Cyril Ramaphosa's meeting with Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari in Abuja. Opposition politicians in Ivory Coast have described the new government, named by President Alassane Ouattara, as bloated and the death toll from record rains that have devastated parts of Japan has risen to 199, with dozens still missing. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, and former South Africa's president Jacob Zuma's son Duduzani is expected to appear in the Randburg Magistrates Court north of Johannesburg today. He faces two counts of culpable homicide and an alternative charge of negligent driving. In 2014, Duduzani Zuma re ended a taxi after losing control of his Porsche on the M1 highway. The collision led to the deaths of Pumzile Dube and Nanki Mashaba. While Dube died on the scene, Mashaba is Believed to have died
4: in hospital several weeks later. Tsimoloho Mabuta reports. In December 2014, Magistrate Lalita Chetty found that Pumzile Dube's death was a result of negligence by Duduzane. She also found that Duduzane did not act in a reasonable manner on the night his luxury sports car rear ended a minibus taxi. Despite this, the National Prosecuting Authority decided not to prosecute Duduzane. The NPA has since reviewed this decision and will be following through on the charges, this time taking into account the subsequent death of Monkey Mashaba as well. NPA a spokesperson Pindim John Jonondwane. The NPA reviewed the decision that was made by the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions not to charge Mr. Dutuzani Zuma. Lobby group Afroforum had given the NPA an ultimatum to prosecute Dutuzani for culpable homicide or give them permission to prosecute him privately. Afroforum CEO Kali Creel says they welcomed the NPA's decision to revisit the charges.
16: We believe this is not only a victory for the Dube family at the and Afroforum. It's a victory. For everybody in the country that believes in equality before the law. The fact is, there was a judicial inquiry that found that Mr. Zuma was negligent and caused the death of a young woman, and he should be held accountable, and that is what we are seeing happening.
4: Creel says they will no longer be pursuing a private prosecution.
16: Uh, Mr. Zuma has the uh, opportunity to put his side of the case and we will abide whatever the court uh, rules on. What we couldn't abide by is the fact that there was evidence against him and the NPA decided not to prosecute him. We wanted to make sure that there is prosecution and we will then abide by whatever the court decides.
4: John Andrane says the NPA will ask for the matter to be postponed. We are anticipating a postponement as we are going to ask the court for a postponement in order to disclose the contents of the docket to the defense team. On Monday, Duduzane appeared briefly in the Johannesburg Specialized Commercial Crimes Court. This in relation to his alleged involvement in attempts by the Guptas to bribe former Deputy Finance Minister Nkabisi Jonas. He was charged with one count of corruption and an alternative count of conspiracy to commit corruption. He's out on a R100,000 bail. The case has been postponed to January next year. I'm Timul Pudla in Johannesburg. What will
1: you give the late former President Nelson Mandela on his birthday centenary next week? Many will dedicate at least sixty-seven minutes of their time to good causes and volunteering, but over forty Trek for Mandela climbers will spend a little more time In his honor. They hope to summit Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania on the day of his birth, Wednesday the 18th of July. Julian Pele is one of them. Before flying out of the country to climb Mount Kilimanjaro for the third time, she recently visited the village of Nyongane in South Africa's Mbumalanga province.
18: Education Noctula Mukwena's escape from a life of hardship. The plight of many poverty-stricken girl children. Her single mother is a farm worker. She only comes home month-ends. In her absence, Noctula's older sister care for her and her brother. Often her only daily meal is provided by the school's feeding scheme. But despite her struggles, Noctula excels academically. The Caring for Girls campaign targets girls like Noctula. More than 350,000 have already benefited. And many more will after this year's five-day trek. Each climber will contribute 15,000 rand towards sanitary pads. Good luck messages have been streaming in. All rallying behind the team for south africa and the continent it's still a long walk to freedom for scores of young girls from villages like this who can't afford sanitary pads but a single step from those in more privileged positions can unburden the african girl child in the spirit of ubuntu a group of trick for mandela climbers visited the village just weeks before their departure Gillian Pillay filed that report from the village
1: of Nyongane in South Africa's Mpumalanga province. The head and the load is a piece of performance art about South Africa's forgotten role about Africa's forgotten role in the First World War. The African cast uses a mixture of visual art, music, movement and drama to look at the thousands of Africans who acted as soldiers and porters in the war, hoping it would bring a move to independence when the war ended. The show is opening this week in London. The BBC's Vincent Dowd reports.
17: The huge Turbine Hall at the Tate Modern Gallery in London is not an obvious home for theatre, but The Head and the Load is an ambitious piece, reclaiming part of African history almost forgotten. It uses an extraordinary variety of music, African and European. South African artist William Kentridge was asked to mark the centenary of the First World War. He realised he knew almost nothing of the enforced contribution of Africa to a European conflict. There were between one and two million Africans involved, primarily as porters. In the casualty lists overall, there probably 30,000 soldiers, 300,000 porters, and 700,000 civilians died. <laughs> Tatuga Sabizi is the South African co-composer. He says the music's a collage.
0: Sometimes he's sort of referring on an African war chant, but then it's been infringed upon by a Western waltz, but then you'd have an African hymn sort of coming across at it. At home, it's sort
17: of called a mix masala. Britain's national anthem is sung beautifully, but ironically. Philip Miller is the show's other composer. There was this incredible tension for black soldiers that they were singing this hymn. So we don't just sing it in that sort of in the cathedral here in England. We pull it apart, we flip it around, and at some point we do end up with a, a kind of South African muskandi, muskandi, isizathamele, uh, is is mm-hmm. four-part harmony. Much of what happens in the head and the load is set in and around German East Africa, today's Tanzania. Britain was intent. Victory in Europe would also kick the Kaiser out of Africa. The endless lines of African porters are superbly recreated on stage. There were no railway lines going all the way up through Africa. And because of tsetse fly, beasts of burden couldn't be used. So instead of putting a cannon on the back of a pack of mules, it's broken down and put on the backs of men. And so for each soldier you would have three carriers, for a machine gun 12, for a cannon 300 and for a boat which would be taken apart, literally thousands of carriers to carry a boat.
1: That's William Kentridge ending that report by the BBC's Vincent Dodd. The 7th International Marimba and Steel Ban Festival will take place in Johannesburg on the 28th and 29th of this month and this year. It will be paying homage to former President Nelson Mandela in his centenary year. The theme for this year's event is to celebrate the life and times of the father of our democracy. About 80 institutions from Southern Africa will come together to compete as well as share their love for music. For more on this, Tutongobeni spoke to festival director Drone Lithgow.
19: Well, this is our seventh event and uh, seventh edition of the International Marimba and Pan Festival. And we're expecting 2,000 participants from all over South Africa, as well as Botswana and Zimbabwe this year. And we also have three international adjudicators, one from the United Kingdom, we have one from uh, Nigeria, and one from Uganda. In terms of um,
20: uh, the participants themselves, are they professionals, are they amateurs, are they uh, schoolgoers? How do we uh, class them?
19: Okay, so we have a variety of children ranging from the ages of seven all the way up to adults in their 50s and 60s who come. We've got professional bands as well as we have many, many amateur bands that come to the festival every year. And um, there are two main aspects to the festival. The one is the main event which takes um, the form of a number of competitions in different age categories as well as different genres of music. And the other exciting part of the festival is the fringe events which we have 90 different workshops running over two days at the festival.
20: And tell us about marimba playing and still Pen playing. Has it gained momentum ever since you started with the festival six years ago, now the seventh year?
19: Yes, it has indeed. So our very first festival, we had 1,200 people taking part. And for the last two or three years, we now have over 2,000 people taking part. The marimba itself is one of the fastest growing instruments to be used in the classroom and at schools around South Africa and indeed around many places of the world people are seeing the value of marimba playing at a school level.
20: um, This year we are marking the centenary year of uh, former South African President Nelson Mandela and you will also be joining in in honouring the former statesmen.
19: Correct. We have at our festival one of the the highlights of the festival is a mass uh, performance by all the marimba and pan players, as well as um, the audience and the creator choir. We have a djembe ensemble, and then usually between five and seven hundred marimba players playing together at the same time. And this year I've written a a piece honoring Madiba talking about where we, in the lyrics of the song, we actually quote various quotations that he has made about music.
20: And in terms of the audiences that are coming to the festival, what should they expect?
19: Well, they should expect a jam-packed two days starting at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning until about 9.30 on Saturday evening and then again from 8 o'clock until 6 on Sunday and there are loads of performances. So we have over 250 marimba and steel pan performances. Every four minutes a different group is performing in a variety of different categories and so that alone is quite unique anywhere in the world to have so many performances in one day and then also it's all part of entertainment workshops you can go and learn how to play marimbas, your pans, gembe drums and beeras, a whole lot of different dances including Guthrie's dancing, things like uh, sepedi dancing as well as a variety of other activities, and this all for 200 thanks for the entire week, which is unbelievable. Thank you, my. Let us all unite and
7: celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and a party.
11: This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us
19: make Africa the tree of God.
1: Well, it's 8.46 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tavi Solohogo.
16: Good morning. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari says he will soon sign the Continental Free Trade Area Agreement. Buhari said this during his first meeting with the South African President Cyril Ramaphosa in the Nigerian capital, Abuja. Currently, 49 African countries have signed, though many of the parliaments, including South Africa's, still have to ratify it. Nigeria says it's still consulting its people in over 30 states. The agreement will see the free movement of people and goods facilitate, intra-Africa trade. Buhari explains Nigeria's caution.
7: Trying to guarantee employment and goods and services to our country, we have to be careful with agreements that will compete, maybe successfully, against our own upcoming industries. I was presented with the document uh, before my official saw that it was all right for signature. I kept it on my table. I will soon sign it.
16: South African Rail Port and Pipeline Company transnets the chief executive officer, Bonga Kama, says infrastructure is the key to connecting Africa and improving trade on the continent. He says with a combined gross domestic product of $16.6 trillion, the BRICS countries have the power to improve innovation and create employment. Gama was delivering the keynote address at the BRICS Africa Infrastructure Program launch in Kempton Park, east of Johannesburg.
3: Africa trades amongst itself at a mere 16%, while if you look at the economies of Europe and North America, they are upwards of 40 to 60 percent. So there's still a lot of opportunity between ourselves as Africans to make sure that uh, intra-African trade can grow. Infrastructure is the catalyst in terms of um, improving trade amongst our countries.
16: The BRICS Infrastructure Working Group Chairperson Ravi Naya, says that the group has developed a portal that's designed to track infrastructure projects on the African continent. He says that the portal will help them to better illustrate and articulate infrastructure programs to potential investors. The announcement was made at the BRICS Africa Infrastructure Program launch on Wednesday in Johannesburg. Naya says that the portal is a breakthrough in creating visibility on the continent's infrastructure progress.
3: So what has happened here today, what you're going to witness is we put together a portal that shows every infrastructure project on our continent in absolute detail and it's work in progress and what we will share with you also is how you can zoom into every country on our continent and understand what infrastructure projects we have, at what stage of development they are, whether they are ready for funding, whether they are ready for partnerships, PPPs and PSPs and also These projects are going to help us develop the skills that we require to execute
17: these projects.
16: Barclays Africa has changed its name back to APSA on Wednesday in a rebranding aimed at underlining its South African roots as Britain's Barclays gradually retreats from the continent. The name change comes almost a year after Barclays sold most of its controlling stake in APSA, South Africa's third largest lender, ending more than a century of the British Bank's involvement in Africa to focus on its home market and the United States. Currently, APSA is the brand name for the group's retail banks in South Africa. But in future, all of the group's operations across Africa will use the brand name. And still on Barclays, uh, its bank in Kenya, BBK, sees separation with its London parent as an opportunity to embrace new business lines that were previously avoided due to regulatory restrictions of the multinational group. Barclays Kenya Chief Executive Officer Jeremy Awori says that the decision by Barclays to cut its stake in Barclays Africa gives the BBK more flexibility to try out new products that resonate with the local market. Awori says they are excited because it is a new beginning and are no longer restraining by the things Barclays plc had designed at at global level. The US dollar trades at 1012 Botswana Pula. It's at 9721 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, it's a US dollar's trading at 383 Brazilian real, at 627 Russian ruble and at 68.66 Indian rupee, 666 Chinese yuan and a uh, 13.46 to the South African rand. 75 cents, British pound, 85 cents euro, gold thousand two forty three thousand $243, a platinum $826 an ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $74.70 a barrel. I'm Tabisonohoku from an African perspective.
1: So this is going to be a very interesting um, World Cup. Croatia and uh, France, they're meeting again for a second time. When did they meet? A number of years ago in the World Cup. But it wasn't the final.
0: No, yeah, they've met many several times. Mm. Friendlies in the Euro and all, but Mm. not in the final because Croatia has just made history to be in the final for the first time.
1: Mm. And uh, Rafael Nadal?
0: Yeah, Rafael Nadal as well will take on Novak Djokovic. And uh, hopefully he will be in the final and win it.
1: Mm. All right. So now cricket, the Proteas are also out. Um, Where are they exactly? They
0: are in Sri Lanka. They are up now as we speak.
1: Okay. All right. Give us an update.
0: First time, Pinot Sports Update this hour. It's tennis news. Kevin Anderson became the first South African man to reach the Wimbledon semi final since Kevin Curran in 1983. Anderson beat defending champion Roger Federer 2 6, 6 7, 5, 7 5, 6 4, 13 11 in 4 hours and 13 minutes.
21: I kept on telling myself, uh, you know, I have to keep believing and I kept saying that today was going to be my day because you really need that mindset, taking the court against somebody like Roger. Um, if you go out there with doubts or unsure what's going to happen, like I maybe did a little bit, you know, in that first set, uh, it's not going to be, it's you know, it's not going to go your way. And as the match went on, I just kept to myself. You know, this is going to be my day. Um, you know, I just gave it my all and, obviously, very ecstatic uh, to get through that.
0: Fedra has admitted he was shell shocked as the Swiss star struggled to come to terms with his terrible in quarter-final exit.
21: After that, I never really felt uh, exactly 100%, and that has nothing to do with my opponent. It was just one of those days where you hope to get by somehow, and uh, I almost could have, or should have. Um, So now I wasn't surprised that, you know, once I couldn't get the one-two punch going, that once I was in the rally, it's hard to, to get him moving, because like you said, he hits hard and strong.
0: This is Fedra's second Wimbledon defeat after holding a two-set lead with his previous loss from the position coming against Joe wolfert in 2011 quarter-finals. Anderson's huge serve kept Federer on the back foot and the towering eighth seed also fared much better than expected in the baseline rallies.
21: I've been there before and I know what kind of energy I need to bring to the fifth and I was able to bring that. So yeah, so I didn't feel mental fatigue because now I feel... Horribly fatigued and just awful, so um, it's just uh, it's just terrible, but uh, it's how it goes, you know. Credit to him. Yeah, of course the goal is to come here ba- back here next year, you know. I wouldn't call it unfinished business, you know. I feel like I did some a good business here in the past already, <laughs> so, 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 so I'm all I'm all right, you know. Just disappointed now.
0: And in football, New England's bid to reach the first World Cup final since 1966 came to an end in the last four as they lost 2-1 in extra time to Croatia and Moscow. Juventus striker Mario Mandzukic scored the winning goal in the 109th minute, snodding in from Ivan Peseric's flick on into the area. This is Croatia advancing to the final.
17: So did Perisic. Mandzukic! Croatia hit the front!
16: Croatia may be going all the way! Mario Mandzukic pounced!
0: World champion Peter Sagan outstayed his rival with a win, dramatic uphill sprint finish in Quimpa on stage 5 of the Tour de France.
21: Yeah, it was nice uh, to win the, the break, it's always nice to win the break, particularly in the Tour de France. It's not so easy to get in, so particularly on days like this, uh, there are already some more uh, guys interested to be in. So uh, I tried to win, I wasn't. Yeah, we had a nice break actually. Pity that Chavanel went from so far on. Okay, I thought you just take two points on the first cut and then wait, but I kept on going. And then Kamijan sat down, uh, the other one crashed, so we were only in four. To really pull, we went full, and then just in my turn, and then there was another acceleration, and uh, Kamijan uh, went from the back, and then we were three, two, and uh, it was a pity because I came close again to the guys, but just didn't. And
16: that's the Sport news
21: this hour. Channel Africa brings
16: you world-to-world coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes a previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. Africa, rise and shine.
0: Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka, Naomai.
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa urges Nigeria to sign Africa Trade Pact, and Zimbabwe's MDC alliance accuses the Electoral Commission of bias. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Kabu, producers Pumutu Ramagaza and Jane Rabutata. Technical producer Wiseman and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277 or tweet us at RyshineAfrica. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news, on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Alifaka Toure with a song titled Dofana. Second mm-hmm.